Anyway, this morning we are in Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 13 through 25 um, in Acts 25. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 25, verses 13 through 22. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, Acts 25. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a man left prisoner by Felix, And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that I was not, or it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused, met the accusers face to face, and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but who but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and he tried there and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appeared to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. This message is titled, Still Empty, Jesus is Alive. A customs officer observed a truck pulling up at the border. He was suspicious and he ordered the driver out and searched the vehicle. He pulls off all the panels, the bumpers, the wheel cases, but finds not a single scrap of contraband. Whereupon, still, still, still suspicious, well, that's hard to say, but at a loss to know where else to search, he waves the driver through. The next week, the same driver arrives. Again, the official searches and again finds nothing illicit. Over the years, the official tries full body searches, x-rays, and sonar, anything he can think of. And each week, the same man dries up, but no mysterious cargo ever appears. And each time, reluctantly, the custom man waves the driver on. Finally, after many years, the officer is about to retire. The driver pulls up. I know you're a smuggler, the customs officer says. Don't bother denying it. But if I, I, I just can't figure out what you've been smuggling all these years. I'm leaving now. I swear to you, I can do you no harm. Won't you please tell me what it is that you've been smuggling? Trucks, the driver says. 
despite the fact that we have the scripture pointing us to an empty tomb, despite the fact that the scriptures have been proven to be historically accurate, and despite the fact that no true historian can deny that a major religion developed just over 2,000 years ago focused around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are still people who view the resurrection kind of like the customs officer. It is staring them right in the face, and they miss it. The most significant fact in the history of the world, and they shrug it off as meaningless, and they go about their life focusing on their next vacation, or their big paycheck, or whatever it might be, and they just don't get it. There are a few things revealed in our text this morning that I want to focus in on, but the main thing I want to look hard at this morning is the resurrection, because I believe the resurrection is clearly laid out for us in these verses this morning. We notice two views. One, we will see that Paul has made it clear that he believes Jesus is resurrected and that he is alive, and we will see how the world views the resurrection as irrelevant. The first thing we will see is this politician's dilemma. Honor Christ or honor man. And then we will see how the world views the resurrection of Jesus Christ as irrelevant. And finally, how Christians affirm that Jesus is alive. The first thing I want us to see this morning is a politician's dilemma. Honor Christ or honor man. What we see in verse 13 is King Agrippa and Bernice came to greet Festus. Now, this King Agrippa is Herod Agrippa II. He is the great-grandson of Herod who ordered the death of innocent children at the time of Christ's birth. His great-uncle Herod had ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. His father Herod had ordered the death of James. This is Herod Agrippa number two. His wife is Bernice, who was also his sister. She was also the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. She was also the sister of Drusilla. Remember, Drusilla is the wife of Felix. In other words, we see kind of the depravity of man in this family, totally wicked and totally living for self. Bernice had originally been married to her uncle, whom she divorced and married a wealthy Merchantman, and when Herod Agrippa met her in Rome, he enticed her to leave uh, that man that she was with and to come live with him. And so it was really a very unsavory situation that existed here between Herod Agrippa II and Bernice because Festus was new in office, he was a new governor, and Herod Agrippa was still the king over a portion of the province. He comes to greet him. Now, Festus appears a little confused over Paul's case. He most likely is not really familiar with Jewish customs, and even though Paul already made his appeal to Caesar, we find Festus is talking to Agrippa because Agrippa had Jewish background, and he's seemingly trying to figure things out. He obviously felt that Agrippa was in a position to assist him in the matter of Paul's appeal, and Festus would have needed to formulate an official report to report the charges against Paul to be sent with the appeal to Caesar. Now, what's most striking about this, about their conversation, other than the resurrection, which we'll get to in a minute, is the fact that Festus tries to cast himself 
in the most positive light as possible, even if it means slightly bending the truth. Now, we never see politicians do that today, of course, but this is what we see Festus doing. In verse 15, he says the Jews were seeking Paul's condemnation. And Festus is trying to look like he's protecting Paul. He's like, These Jews, they're seeking Paul's condemnation. In verse 16, where Festus says, uh, goes even deeper, says the Jews wanted Paul handed over to them without a fair trial. And he, he made it clear that this would not be permitted. His accusers would have to confront him face to face and Paul would have a chance to defend himself. Granted, this is how things were supposed to work under Roman law, but that is not the picture that really happened from verses 1 through 12, which we looked at last week. The question was simply, where would the trial be held? And the fact is that Paul was concerned about receiving justice, on the, and that was the basis for his appeal. And, and the, the real issue was that Festus wanted to give into the pressure from the Jewish leaders of the day and compromise his standards of justice. However, Festus is trying to make himself look good in front of Agrippa. Festus, again, is trying to please man instead of telling the whole truth. And church, this is the dilemma of this politician Festus. And in reality, it is the dilemma of many people today. Festus is not a Christian, so he has no real desire to honor Christ. But all too often, Christians struggle with this exact same dilemma. Will I honor Christ in my decision and what I'm doing, or will I honor man in what I'm doing? And it shouldn't even be a thought in our mind. We should automatically think that I am going to honor Christ in all that I do. For Festus, even though there is not enough evidence to convict Paul by his by Festus's own admission, he would rather, instead of doing the right thing, instead of doing the thing that is honoring Christ, Festus seeks to honor man. Despite the fact that Paul had done nothing wrong. Listen, we must always seek to honor Christ. That's just not popular today. It's not popular to always seek to honor Christ because in all honesty, we seem to always be seeking ways to honor man, to lift up man, to exalt man over God. And this thought has even crept into many churches today. Instead of thinking how we can honor Christ, even on Sunday mornings, oftentimes our thoughts go to how we can honor man. How can we lift up man? How can we exalt man? How can we put man uh, to be encouraged? How can we put man up on, on the kind of the throne, so to speak? Instead of how can we exalt and honor Christ above all, over all, and to make sure that Christ is king in our service, to make sure that Christ is king in our life, to make sure that Christ is king in all that we do. And so we have a politician's dilemma. Honor Christ or honor man. And we often struggle with the same dilemma. Will I honor Christ or will I honor man? Secondly, we have the world views the resurrection of Jesus Christ as irrelevant. The world views the resurrection of Jesus Christ as irrelevant. I want us to really... Look into verses 18 and 19. These verses to me are astounding. Festus is casually talking with King Agrippa about the accusers of Paul. And he says, 
Well, when they stood up, they brought no charge in his case of evils, as I suppose. Now look what he says. Rather, they had a certain point of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but who Paul asserted to be alive. So basically, this is what he says in kind of modern terms. I thought that they were going to actually accuse Paul of some sort of serious crime, like treason or murder or something that carried some weight to it. But instead, all they brought up was this ridiculous dispute about their own religion. Here's the thing. It's about some dead man named Jesus that Paul says is alive. That's modern day terms. Listen, in their conversation, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is relegated to irrelevance. It's no big deal. It meant nothing to them. And I submit to you today that the world views the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the same way. It is no big deal. In fact, it is irrelevant. And this is a problem. The reason it is a problem is because Scripture clearly teaches us that belief in the resurrection is essential to salvation. Romans chapter 10 Verses 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let me give you four ways this morning the world views the resurrection, and I think we can pull them from this passage of Scripture. I'm not going to go into theory here. We've already done that during the Easter time. But rather, four ways the world thinks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one, or A in your outline, to the world the resurrection is unimportant. To the world, the resurrection is unimportant. We already stated that it is irrelevant to the world. But let's look again at what Festus says. They brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. Festus thought they had something important to say. But the truth is, in his view, they did not say anything of any importance. Can you imagine Festus? He is thinking that perhaps he's going to be able to have this huge career advancement because he's going to break up this plot of Paul. Surely this is, uh, surely Paul's a wanted man. He, he, surely he's going to try to kill the emperor or something. There has to be some big deal. Paul's got some sort of crazy plot going on. However, what he finds out is that their accusation against Paul is unimportant. It's a dispute over a dead man that Paul says is alive. Church is no different today. The world sees the resurrection as unimportant. You don't believe me? Think about Easter for a moment. Thousands of people, perhaps millions, gather in churches to celebrate the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does it make the front page of the papers? Are there news crews everywhere reporting on it? No. Why not? Because it's not important to the rest of the world. You know what is important to the rest of the world? Who won the ball game? What did our president say now? What celebrity did what? What movie is going to be released? I mean, why in the world does anyone want to get excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There's so much more exciting stuff to be covered, folks. 
I mean, we don't want to get excited about something that happened all this time ago that, that all these people gather together to celebrate. The world has said, well, the resurrection is just not important. Secondly, the world views the resurrection. To the world, the resurrection is one of many opinions about Jesus. Some people say opinions are like armpits. We all got them in some stink. Now, look, yeah, that was meant to be a joke, I know. But uh, now look at Festus's words here in verse 19. They had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Festus was at a loss of what to do concerning this. This is what it says in verse 20. What he is saying is that the Jews have the opinion about this man named Jesus, and Paul has an opinion about this man named Jesus, and so it's simply their opinion. It's, it's, it's their opinion versus Paul's opinion. So it's one religion against another religion. How am I supposed to decide what religion is true and what religion is false? What am I supposed to do? Because it's all based upon opinions about Jesus. That's the same today concerning the resurrection of Jesus. People will say, well, well, that is just one opinion of many about Jesus. How can you be sure of what you're saying? That's just what you want. What about what others want? That's what you believe. What about what others believe? I will believe what I want to believe and you believe what you want to believe. You can't force your view on someone else because it's only your opinion. I mean, who's to say you're right and everyone else is wrong anyway? The view of the world is you can do what you want as long as it doesn't affect me. You can believe what you want as long as it doesn't affect me. Or as long as you don't try to apply your belief to my life, then you can do whatever you want. And so the resurrection is the same. It's simply one of many opinions about Jesus. And there's no real way to decide which one is right. You just have to decide for yourself. Third, to the world, the resurrection is fiction. Festus says the dispute is about their own religion. Speaking of the Jews, some people actually prefer the translation uh, superstition here. For the world, uh, for the word here, religion um, is actually can be translated superstition. And those people are in the minority that believe it should be superstition. But the Romans did not believe in the resurrection. And so this would be a foreign religious concept to them. So Paul is being charged with believing in the resurrection and something that Rome cannot judge. And that's not a civil matter anyway. The point being is that Rome did not believe that religion was something that was verifiable. It was merely something that belonged in the spirit world, not in the world of reason, and definitely not in the world where things were based on fact. And this claim of the resurrection, they felt, was not fact. It was a religious belief and was superstitious or fiction. That's no different today. Christianity is viewed in much the same light. It's just one of the religions of the world. It's not any different than any other religion. And all religions are a matter of faith and not fact because they're not based on reason and they're not based upon verifiable truth. So you can just pick which one you want. So Christianity is fiction because it's based upon a fictitious event. The world says, take your pick, whatever religion you want, according to what you like because it has nothing to do with fact. They're all fictions. Just take your pick. 
to the world, number four, to the world, Jesus Christ was just a normal person. Jesus Christ was just a normal person. Finally, the world says that Jesus, he was just normal. There was nothing special about him. Festus calls him a certain Jesus in verse 19. To Festus, Jesus was just some religious leader who leads the Jews for a time and went and got himself killed. He knew what Paul thought of Jesus, but that was it. Jesus was a dead man. And I'm here to tell you, church, the world views Jesus the exact same way. Some people will say Jesus was a great teacher. He was a highly moral person. Some will even call him a prophet. Some will call him a religious genius because he got some, so many people to follow him. There are a few that will question whether anyone could possibly know his, a historical Jesus. And they will say that Jesus was surrounded by such a great myth that no one could possibly separate the historical Jesus from all the myths about him which are recorded in the New Testament. Church to the world, Jesus is just a normal person. There's nothing special about him. There's nothing unique about him, and he certainly is not divine. The resurrection is a nice little thought that Christians have, and if they want to believe in it, that's fine. Easter's a nice holiday where we get candy, and we have a little Easter bunny that goes hopping around, and if it helps you feel good about your life, that's great. Go ahead and believe in it. The resurrection, though, is a fairy tale. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And I wonder this morning, how you see the resurrection. What is Easter to you? Is it just a day where you dress nice for church? Where you kind of get your matching outfits together? You have a little Easter egg hunt. You get some candy. Maybe you go to church as a family. You go out for dinner and it's no big deal. What do you believe about the resurrection? Listen, church, some people even in the church will say, I believe you have to do the best you can and be a good person, and it's all going to work out in the end. That teaching leads straight to hell. I ask you, what do you believe? You see, the resurrection is the most important fact in the history of humanity. And this leads me to my third point. As Christians, we believe Jesus is alive. The world says Jesus is dead. The world has relegated the resurrection of Jesus Christ to relevancy. But as Christians, we say Jesus is alive. We say you can go to the tomb and it's still empty. You won't find a body there because Jesus is alive. Listen, for the Christian, the resurrection is the most important truth in all of history. The most important truth in all of history. The world says it's unimportant. And we say no, it's most important. The entirety of the Christian faith depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul affirmed the resurrection. He didn't say it was probably so. He did not say it was possible. He did not say it was reasonable to think that the resurrection is true. But Paul said it was on the account of eyewitnesses that the resurrection is provable. If it is not, so then uh, if it's not provable, then, then, then we're in a terrible position as Christians. 
Listen to Paul's own words. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Paul says if there is no resurrection, it's hopeless. If you really want to disprove Christianity, which many claim they want to do, then all you have to do is disprove the resurrection. That's it. Christianity will crumble. And guess what? There would be no more Christianity. Because it's foundational on which all of Christianity rests. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world says the resurrection is unimportant. But Paul says the resurrection is, is not just historically true. It, it's, it's a fact then you're, and if it's not historically true, if it's not a fact, then you're wasting your time even being a Christian. It's better just to eat, drink, and live your life up because tomorrow we die. That's exactly what he says. However, if it is true, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important truth in all of history. It's not some sort of irrelevant event that we can just ignore if we want to. If it is true, then Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. And if he is the risen Lord, he has a claim on your life. And if the risen Lord has a claim on on your life that it is the most important truth in all of history the world says resurrection is one of many opinions about Jesus if you want to believe it fine if you don't fine but don't try to make others believe it however Christians say the resurrection is fact that everyone must deal with eventually the resurrection is a fact that everyone must deal with Eventually, the resurrection, it's not debatable. It's not something that may or may not have happened. It's not something that does not matter to the Christian faith. The resurrection is fact. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul from Acts chapter 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, some people might say, well, why? Why does he command all people everywhere to repent? Verse 31 of Acts chapter 17, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all. How has he given assurance to all? By raising him from the dead. Paul never said, hey, everyone, listen up. I need to stress to you a matter of strong opinion. If you want to accept it, you can. And if you don't want to accept it, that's okay too. No, he said, God is now commanding all people everywhere to repent. The reason, the reason being that God is commanding all people everywhere to repent is because one day everyone will stand before the risen Lord Jesus Christ for judgment. That's not Paul's opinion. It's not something that Paul made up. It's fact. 
He got it from Jesus Christ himself who said the Father has given all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. You will either accept the word of Jesus Christ or you will reject the word of Jesus Christ. There is not some sort of middle ground either. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about and you accept it and he is the judge and you say, Jesus, Jesus, I believe in everything that you said or you reject it. And you say, well, he was just deceiving everyone. It was C.S. Lewis who said, there is no room for the view that Jesus was merely a good moral teacher. He was either a liar or a lunatic or he is Lord of all. Jesus is either who he claimed to be or he's not who he claimed to be, period. If you read through the scripture and read the life of Christ as written in the gospels, you will see that there is only one conclusion and that's Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He was not a lunatic, nor was he a liar. He was a man who was full of compassion and the sinless son of God. He spoke the truth concerning judgment to come. And God has proven that Jesus is who he said he was by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is not one of many opinions about Jesus, but rather it's the fact that everyone must deal with eventually. You will either deal with it on this earth or you will deal with it later after you're dead. We will all deal with it eventually. One day, every one will stand before the risen Lord. And you will either stand before him as your savior or your judge. Before your last breath, you will have made that decision. The world says the resurrection is fiction. But Christianity says the resurrection is verifiable fact. The resurrection is verifiable fact. Again, Paul did not say that he sure hoped the resurrection was true or that it might be true. Nor did he say that even though the evidence is contrary, I believe it's true based on faith. That's not what Paul says. Instead, Paul asserts it to be true. This is not some sort of speculation, some sort of crazy idea that was, that was uh, just kind of a con made up by people to make other people feel good about themselves. Paul was an eyewitness of the risen Christ. Paul dealt with the resurrection as common sense, just like any other kind of history. Paul, on the road to Damascus, met the risen Lord, and his life was never the same. He had been he had been uh, kind of rising in the ranks of Jewish leadership. He was focused on persecuting Christians and he wanted to wipe them off the face of this earth. Paul had a future, but he saw the risen Lord and he gave everything up. Listen, this is not just Paul either, but many people saw the risen Lord. The apostles' lives were changed. Witnesses of the resurrection were honest and true men. They were willing to go to prison and even die on the account of their statements of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it was fake, why would they do that? They had nothing to gain and everything to lose by their testimonies. They stated that Jesus, whom they knew to have been dead, had risen again and had given clear proofs that he was alive. They were not even expecting a resurrection. They could have easily returned to what they were doing before and no one would have ever known. Yet, they were beaten. They went to prison and were even killed. For their testimony that Jesus was risen. Why would these men and thousands of others give up everything for a lie? Why would you do that? Who in their right mind would carry a lie to that degree? And multiple people to that degree to be tortured and even killed for a lie. 
because it wasn't a lie. It was based on verifiable evidence. If, if these men were crazy, you still have an empty tomb. If the body of Jesus were in that tomb, as soon as some crazy man began to preach about the resurrection of Jesus' body, they would have just said, oh, well, here's the body, folks. He's not resurrected. Look, there he is. But there is no body because the tomb is empty. It was empty then, and it's still empty today. If enemies stole his body, they would produce it immediately. If the guards were paid off, then they would have lost their lives. When the Jews, Jewish leaders protested to the commander of the guards, notice the Jewish leaders never once accused the guards of taking the body or even for allowing it to be taken. They accepted the guards' testimony about the resurrection. They only bribed the guards to keep them quiet about the resurrection. If the disciples had stolen the body, then once persecution began, they would, they would never keep on with their story. What would they gain? Nothing. They didn't gain financially from it. They had nothing to gain. The resurrection of Jesus is historical fact. It is verifiable fact, regardless of the world's claim that it's fiction. Finally, the world says Jesus Christ was just a normal person. However, Christians say Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Christians do not preach a dead Christ. But we preach and proclaim a living, eternal Son of God. Jesus died and rose again and is alive. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Him as Lord. This man, despised by many, is the Son of God. Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament spoke of the Messiah. Some of His birth, some of His life, some of His teachings, some of His miracles... To his death, it was all included. His resurrection, his ascension into heaven, all of it was talked about in Old Testament prophecy. They all bear witness to the fact that Jesus was not some ordinary man, but he was not some normal man, but he was God in human flesh, and he is the eternal Son of God. He did not even die a normal death because his death was a death as the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system. He is the atonement, not a picture of the atonement. Jesus is the atonement. Again, I say there is nothing ordinary about Jesus. He died a criminal's death. His enemies nailed him to a cross. They put him to death and yet we glory in his death. We say he not only died, but that he was made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree and yet we glory in his death. Isaiah prophesied, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, and yet we glory in it. He was no ordinary man. He was numbered with transgressors, and for the sins of many, we glory in it. He took our just punishment, and we glory in it. We glory in the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was put to death. He suffered, and he bled, and he died for the sins of many. And we don't defend it. We don't apologize for it. We affirm it just like Paul. We don't hide it. We don't conceal it. We don't pretend like it doesn't happen. We put it at the forefront of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we understand that it is the only hope for mankind. Jesus is the sin bearing son of God who died the cruelest of death on the cross of Calvary so that you and I might live through him. He's no ordinary man. Our speech 
should be so fragranced with the perfume of Jesus that people know we follow him. Our sermon should talk about Jesus because a Christless gospel is a useless gospel. Even those that are not saved should know we preach Christ crucified for he is mighty to save. Oh, that we would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ far and wide and at the foundation of all that we do as a church, as the foundation of all that we do in our life would be Christ. Oh, but here's the thing. Though we glory in the death of Christ, though we glory in his crucifixion, we don't have a dead Christ. We have a living Christ who is able to save to the uttermost who is the eternal son of God. He died, he rose again, and now he lives. Dwell on that thought, church. Jesus is alive. Let it sink in. Jesus is alive. His enemies put him to death, but the father delivered him. He is alive. He's just not out there somewhere. He is alive to have fellowship with you. He sympathizes with your grief. He sorrows when you sorrow. Oh dear Christian, he is near to you today. He's not living in the past, but he lives today. Jesus is alive. He communes with us as the high king of heaven. He listens to us. He bends his ear down to hear us call his name. We call out to him and he listens. When we're in trouble, we call to him. When we need grace, we call to Him. When, we, when we're in some sort of situation that we can't get out of, we call to Him. And He comes and He touches us. We can't touch Him. We can't even see Him. But He's alive. We love a living and active Savior who is with us at this very moment. Church, Jesus is alive. One day, you will stand before God. And every person will stand before God and you will either bear your own sin and face God's judgment or your faith will be in Jesus as your sin bearer. If you trust in Jesus, God's holy justice has been satisfied and you will be welcomed into heaven. However, if you are looking at something else to get you into heaven, you will face God's judgment so why do people reject this why do people reject the resurrection well most people reject Christ because they don't want to turn from their sin instead in their pride they cling to sin and their pride convinces them that in the end they will be okay they will earn their spot in heaven but They will never be good enough. Only through the blood of Christ can we enter into heaven. Some of you may know that that I like Christian rap music. Now some of you may not know that. Now some of you are shocked, right? I was going to play a song for you today, but I knew some folks would be like, well, I couldn't understand a word that that guy was saying. So I just decided... To read the lyrics for you. To I can't do it like he can, but I'm gonna read the lyrics for you from a guy named Shy Lin. And it's called Jesus is Alive. And I want you to listen. Elvis is dead, Picasso is dead, Jimi Hendrix and Janice Joplin are dead, Marilyn Monroe is dead. However, 
Jesus is alive. Brando is dead. James Brown is dead. Princess Di and John Lennon are dead. Biggie and Pac are dead. If you don't know who those are, that's okay. However, Jesus is alive. Give praise to King Jesus, the blessed Son, victorious, glorious, resurrected one. To him belongs the power, glory, and honor ascended where he sits at the right hand of the Father. At the cross he made atonement, his people he saved. After three years he was raised and defeated the grave. By faith the elect behold him. His scepter is golden. He must have been hot or slippery because death couldn't hold him. The spotlight is on today's icons in a thousand years Nobody will care, their light's gone. But at that time, Christ will still shine bright. He's not in the limelight, he is the limelight. Criminal-minded, you've been blinded. Looking for the body of Jesus, you won't find it. We never lack spirit, letting you cats hear it because his tomb is empty, like most secular rap lyrics. Plato is dead. Socrates is dead. Aristotle and Immanuel Kant are dead. Nietzsche and Darwin are dead. However, Jesus is alive. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi and Haile Selassie are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Throughout history, there's been mad religious leaders, prophets, preachers, scholars, teachers. But when it came to the grave, no one could climb out. There's, that's where Jesus stands alone, like taking a time out. And don't be misled. I got a level head. No resurrection. Christianity would never have spread. The disciples weren't stupid guys who would ruin their lives and, and then choose to die for what they knew was a lie. That would be beyond ridiculous. Nah, the issue is the risen Christ seen by 500 eyewitnesses. Imagine 500 people in a court of law, each of them taking the stand, reporting what they saw. If their stories lined up and made sense, the evidence would have to leave you convinced. But still, it's by faith that we trust and praise the Son who was raised for our justification. Nero is dead. Constantine is dead. Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun are dead. Alexander the Great is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Napoleon is dead. Lao Tzu is dead. Che Guevara and Henry VIII are dead. Saddam Hussein is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Through faith in Christ, we've been saved from hell because he's risen. It means we'll be raised as well in glorified bodies fit for the new earth. For now, we participate in the new birth. The universal reality of the true church with resurrection power. Watch the spirit do work. United with Christ, we reside in his light. Abide in his might. Keep in stride, we fight. The pride in our life, the lies and the spite. We strive to be wise as he guides through the night. He'll chide and he'll slice, recognize that he's right. His brightness inside lights our eyes and it's tight. He decided to die, to wash white our strife. His life was a price to delight in his wife. He told death, psych, just to rise like a kite. All eyes on Christ. Let's prize him tonight. Now listen, Pharaoh is dead. Cyrus is dead. Darius and Sennacherib are dead. Nebuchadnezzar is dead. However, Jesus is alive. All these people have one thing in common. Caesar, dead. Herod is dead. Annas, Caiaphas, and Judas are dead. Pontius Pilate is dead. However, Jesus is alive. This morning, church, you can be like that customs officer. 
The resurrection is staring you in the face. And you can either ignore it, not see it, because you're busy looking for something else, and you can miss it all together. Or you can put your trust in Him as Lord and Savior. And so this morning, perhaps, for the first time the gospel made sense to you, for the first time you heard of the resurrection, for the first time you believe, you cannot get to heaven without belief in the resurrection. Maybe this morning you need to make that decision or this morning you've perhaps realized that the resurrection, you just kind of treat it like, eh, it's no big deal. You're treating it like the world. Has it really made a difference in your life, church? Everything else in this world will pass away, including us. But Jesus is alive. Do you preach Jesus is alive? Do you proclaim Jesus is alive? Well, pastor, people think I'm crazy because they can't see Jesus. Then that just says he hasn't really made a difference in your life because he's alive. And other people should know it and other people should see it and it should be on our lips because he should be king and lord of our lives. In just a moment, I'm going to be standing down front. Maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you want to come and pray by yourself. You can pray in your pew. You don't have to come down front. Maybe you want to say, Pastor, I, I need Jesus this morning. Whatever. However the Lord's spoken to you, I want to give you that opportunity to respond this morning. As we sing this song, you'd be willing to respond. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you for your word.